All right, if you want to open up a Bible, if you brought your own, you can use that. If uh, you want to use the one in front of you, open up a Burgundy Bible, and you can open it up to the book of Colossians. We're going to jump into that in a few moments. Today we are talking about what's real, what's real. And we're going to be going through this verse by verse in the book of Colossians uh, as we discover what's real in our faith. We're really looking at that question and answer thing, and I'm excited that we get to do that. And um, so a little bit of a background. You have Paul that's writing this letter to a very young church in Colossae. And in, in this area, it's, it's what's now known as Turkey. Do we have the slide for... Thank you. Let's see if the, the sermon slide's pulling up. Uh, I do not have a page number. Does anyone have a page number for the Burgundy yet? 987. So we're going to go through this little but powerful book. It's actually a letter, and, and Paul is, is writing this to, to the church. And it's 120 miles east of Ephesus, and Paul is in prison, and there's a little bit of debate about when he's in there or where he's at, but the truth is, this is one of the letters that he wrote where he had never been to before. And so he's writing to this church that has sprung up without an apostle, one of, the, one of the 12 apostles, which he was added into, right, being there. And so what you have is a second-generation church, or a disciple, which was Paul, that made a disciple that started the church that made disciples, okay? And so this is a very different area. In this city, and it was a city at the time, was a, a powerful place of trade. And you had a main road that was going into Rome through it. So all the roads lead to where? Have you heard this term before? All roads lead to where? Rome. And it was true because that, they were the guys that started making roads. And they made some really nice roads. I kind of wish we had them making roads now because they would last just about forever. And they would allow, these roads would allow massive trade to go through. They were uniting the world under their empire, and trade and commerce were very important in this time, as they are now. Now we, we see digital trading online, where they're trading commodities all the time, and then you have the physical trade that goes through the ocean, right? And then we have railroads, and then we have even, what was it, the Suez Canal? How many of you know that got blocked, and that created a lot of profit loss, Right? So as the world becomes more integrated, and this first network starts with these roads, you have trade that's starting to pick up. And with trade comes a lot of different ideas because you have different cultures coming together. And in this area, you have to remember that the people would worship idols or different gods in an area. So the reason that Paul is in prison is because he's sharing his faith. He doesn't do things that are illegal, like stealing, robbing, or killing, or hurting people. What he does is he gets up sometimes in the middle of the marketplace where everything's being traded, and he says, have you heard about the one true God? And he starts talking about it. And at first, it sounds great to everyone until they realize that he's saying there is only one true God. Because the vast majority of the world are polytheists, which means that they believe in a multitude of gods. So let's say you're in a village over near the city. Your village may have its own particular God that helps the rainfall, that helps the crops grow, that keeps your livestock alive and, and the wife's happy or something. It could be anything like that, right? So you have these different idols, and so you worship them, you give them resources, sometimes you sacrifice to them, and you buy and sell these idols. Well, Paul would get in trouble all the time because he would go in and he would say, there's only one true God, it's Yahweh, and Jesus is God in the flesh come down to us. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross and paid for all the sacrifices. No longer do you have to sacrifice anything. Not only that, he's the only way to God the Father, and there is only one God. So 
Trinity is three in one, right? You have those different types of things. So you have people that are worshiping a plethora. At first, what they want to do and what the world does now, think about this, it's not that different. We're probably not, if you go into a neighbor's house, they invite you over for dinner, and they take you in and they open up their, their dining room and they have a bunch of idols in it. That's weird, right? None of us I probably haven't seen that too often. You probably don't see too, too many idols lying around in people's houses anymore. You know, it actually may be out in the front in the garage or it may be in the driveway, right? Because sometimes we can idolize things that we own. We can say, well, this is how I make my money or this is how. So they believed that these idols were responsible for everything good that was coming to them. Not only that, trade was sometimes important for different idols and different idolatry worship. So you have this, this letter from Paul that's sent to this young church, and they're in the midst of this cultural battle, this cultural war between believing in Jesus Christ and the rest of the world, following the world's pattern and path. And, and the idea that most people would have when somebody new would come with this new God, like Jesus Christ, right? And that's what they would think of it as first. It's another God. Let's add that on top of the gods that we already have. You with me? So what you're doing is you're not saying that I'm getting rid of my idols. Instead, you're saying, oh, Jesus sounds like a cool guy. I'm going to add him to my, my belief mix. As people in the world today, without the idea of idolatry being as popular as it was then, do you still see this at play when it comes to Christianity? We call that spiritualism, right? Some people will say, I, I, I believe in Jesus, but I believe also in Buddha. And I believe also in Muhammad. And I believe also in this idea that I have, you know, that I kind of created on my own. And what I've done is I've taken this, all these ideas and I've kind of created a good mix because I want to have diversity within my thought process. I've created a good mix, and this is what I believe in now. Have you seen that in the world before? People will say, uh, I, I like Jesus, I like what he says, I don't like organized religion. Okay, so, so going backwards, Jesus is organized. <laughs> Creation is organized, and whether you believe it or not, even if you're not attending a church, a temple, or anything, you have organized a system of thoughts in order to have the religion that you have, okay? So there is no real religion or thought process that occurs without organization of these thoughts. But a lot of people will, will bring it together, and they'll say, I like what Jesus says when he says this, but I don't like it when he says this. I like it when he heals people, and when he says, treat the poor with loving kindness, I don't like it when he says, I am the only way to God the Father, and I am the door, and there's no other way except me. That seems exclusive. Well, it is, because he's the only real God. That's what I believe. The rest of the world may not believe that, right? So the rest of the world is trying to organize thoughts and ideas without having a foundation to stand upon, and they may be adding Jesus into their mix, but they're not adding the real Jesus. You with me? Because a real Jesus says, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So that's what Paul preaches. Well, when Paul preaches that, that he's saying that all the other idols are fake, all the other idols are false, there is no other real God except for Jesus Christ. And that makes people what? Extremely happy and thrilled, most of them, right? What does it make people? Well, how dare you? <laughs> How dare you believe that? How dare you conflict my belief system? How dare you say that your belief system is better? How dare you say that Jesus Christ is the only way? How many of you would say that that's kind of where the world is right now too? Outside of belief in Christianity, that's where it is. And they're right. They're right in that we are claiming exclusivity. And they're right if we're wrong. If we're wrong, none of it matters anyways, because there's probably no way of knowing the real truth, right? But if we are right, and we say to them, oh, that's fine, I believe in Jesus, but you can believe in whatever you want and get there, we're not really believing in the real Jesus. You see what I'm saying? The real Jesus isn't just doing nice things for people, 
The real Jesus is dying on the cross so that we can be set free from our sin and our bondage. The real Jesus is also saying that there is a real hell and there's a real heaven and there's a real eternity and we have to decide now where we're going to go. The real Jesus makes it very clear that this is the kingdom of heaven and this is not. And anybody who chooses not to become part of the kingdom of heaven now is making a choice to not accept Jesus. The real Jesus is by nature, even he himself, he said, I, I didn't just come to bring peace on the earth. I came, I came to divide families, and he understands this. I came, and people will follow me or they won't follow me, and people will make a choice or they won't make a choice. I am real in what I'm doing. There is a decision that had to be made, and we see that even when we celebrate Easter, because what did they do with Jesus, the Jewish people? They, what did they do with their very own Messiah? They killed him, right? And honestly, it wouldn't matter if he was Jewish or not Jewish. Everybody was upset with him. The Romans killed him as well, the Gentiles. So you have a world that doesn't want to believe in absolute truth, and they want to kind of govern their own thoughts and create it in their own mind what is real and what is not real. Any of you believe that that's where we are today? So thousands of years later, nothing has changed <laughs> as far as our thought processes go. And it's still really difficult, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I grew up in the church, and sometimes I'll read things in Scripture, and I'll go, well, 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 I don't like that. You with me? You ever read something, and you go, oh, man, he's talking about me and to me, and I have to change? Well, maybe that verse doesn't mean that. Is there some way I can just exclude that verse? See, that's our human nature at play. And so Paul is writing this letter as he's in trouble because he's preaching Jesus Christ. And I, I couldn't believe it, but last week in London, there, there was a Catholic uh, service that was going on, and the police came in and grabbed the microphone and said, this is an illegal service. Everyone has to disperse and go home. Oh, this is on. This is an illegal service. Everyone has to disperse and go home. And if you don't leave, we're going to arrest you. And then we're going to fine you too. That's what happened in London. And now this is under the idea of COVID regulation and everything else. I get extremely nervous when I see things like that because I know then that all of that's possible. It's very possible even within the United States that persecution could arise and a service like this would be illegal. It's very possible. It, it happened in Canada. Police officers entered into a building. So we're talking about westernized nations that are built on the idea of having religious freedoms that are coming down and locking up religious freedoms. Why? Because they don't view it as real, and they view the current situation as more important than the spiritual situation. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I view the spiritual situation as far more important. You with me? Like, I know that I'm not going to make it out of this life alive unless Jesus comes back when I'm alive. So I am deeply interested in making sure that my heart is right with God and that I'm heading in the right direction. You with me? So I, that's where my hope is. My hope is not in the here and now. It's, it's forever. Because I believe that once you come into faith with Jesus Christ, you make a decision to follow him, you are making a decision to enter into the kingdom of the heaven now, and for all, for all eternity. So I'm already in part of my eternity. You with me? I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. So that's, that's the importance of this. And, and Paul is talking to these people, and he writes this letter. And whenever you write a letter, there's usually a reason, right? So here are the reasons he's writing this. Number one, false teachers were focused within the church. Within this church, this new church here, false teachers were focused on lineage of spiritual rulers and authorities. That means they're like, well, I heard this message from this person, and because of that, I'm deeply important. Or this person prayed for me because they prayed for me. I'm more important than you. And here's what I believe as far as my philosophy, and I follow it this way. And so this is what they're doing within the church. And they believe, they talked a lot about spiritual powers of the world, uh, and they, they had strict observance of Sabbath and new moon festivals. They were they were following these, not because they just wanted to, but it was like, if you don't follow these, you're sinning. So if you don't celebrate Easter the way I celebrate Easter, if you don't celebrate Christmas, that's how we can put it in our common terms that you would understand, 
then you're not doing it right and you're not really following God in the right way. They also talked a lot about spiritual powers of the world, angels and demons. Their focus was on that primarily. They, they got into that very heavily and, and kind of this mysticism idea, following um, rules about their bodies as well, as, aestheticism, which is the idea of uh, withstaining from things in order to become more spiritual. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. In Scripture, we see uh, a talk about how we should occasionally fast, which means we abstain from food, instead spend more time in prayer, and we should do these types of things. Jesus himself told the disciples to do this, and he himself did it. But what they were doing is they were saying, oh, I, I don't eat this, or I don't drink this, and therefore I'm more spiritual than you are. You with me? So what they were doing is they were creating rules within their thought processes and they were creating these unwritten rules that became written rules, and they were preaching these things of, if you really want to get close to God, what you should do is crawl on your hands and knees for a mile. That type of thought process. Or maybe you should starve yourself for two months, and, and then for sure everyone will know that you're close to God. Does that make you close to God? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's just something that you're creating. Jesus doesn't say that you have to do that in order to come to the Father. He says you come through Jesus. And so what they're doing is they're saying the body is evil. Sometimes they would say the body is evil. It's just a tent and it's just a shell. And they're starting to divide between the soul, the body, and the mind. And they're saying the body's bad. We're going to get rid of that. And we're just going to be spirit eventually. Well, in Scripture, you see when it's talked about heaven, it said we're going to have glorified bodies and glorified minds so we're going to have a new body and a new mind. The body itself is good because it holds us, amen? If my skin disappeared and you saw my guts, that'd be gross. If my body just fell apart, I, I wouldn't be here, right? So the body is not evil in itself. In fact, Adam and Eve were created with bodies, right? And it has problems, yes. How many of you know you had problems this morning getting up? It has weird pain issues when you're coming down the stairs holding your kid, Right? All these things happen to us, but in and of itself, it's not evil. But there's a lot of religions out there, like Buddhism, that teach you the, the ultimate goal is to get away from your body. So you starve it to death. So you do these different types of things so you can be out of your body, so you can be out and more spiritual. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you're complete and whole, made by God. Now, the body is breaking down and decaying, but the body is a gift from the Lord, amen? And some of you may say, well, you're not in my body, it's a curse, I'm just telling you, you kind of need a body to live right now. And then when you're, when you're with the Father, he's going to give you a new body. He's going to give you uh, a glorified body. He says he's going to do that. So you need that. So that's one of the problems. Number two, they also have problems with idols. And we talked about that, worshiping in the city and village and those types of things. They're on the highway to Rome, which is kind of like the song ACDC, Highway to Hell. It's very similar. Highway to Rome, is, is, is that's the whole goal of Rome. In, in fact, Rome itself, when the Caesars take control, they put their Caesar on the coin, which is partially why we have presidents on our coin. But not only that, they, they say that Caesar's like a god. So they, their leaders are godlike and, and trying to influence that authority, which is one of the reasons why Jesus put on the cross, because they're like, oh, he's claiming to be king. He can't claim to be king. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons they had for executing him. Um, so, and then number three, number three is, so maybe some of them, they have it figured out. They're following Jesus and everything, and they've come to faith. They really put Jesus as first, but then what they start doing is they start adding traditions, religion, and, and Paul talks about this in chapter two. Instead of having just the gospel view of Christ, I'm not saved by works, I'm saved only by Jesus, they start adding things that bring them salvation, okay? Like, I'm extra saved if I do this, or if I do this, God really loves me. How many of you have thought that before? Like, man, I miss my devotions, God might love me less today. I, am I the only one that thought that? Come on, yeah, yeah, okay. So, or I, I haven't prayed for a while, you know, if I pray, God's gonna love me more. Not, what you're starting to do is starting to, try to earn your salvation through religion. And the different thing about Christianity is it's really about faith in Jesus Christ, not about what you do. It's about what you believe and what he's already done for you. And you're accepting that. 
Now, what you do comes just as a natural result after that, but what you, what's happening is your mind and your soul and your body and everything is being transformed by what Jesus has already done for you, and it's not by anything that you can do that you're saved, but only by what Jesus has done. So nobody is better than you or worse than you in reality because you're just receiving the grace that God wants to give to everyone. And, and that's the difference. So there isn't like you have to hit 35 Sundays a week in our church in order to really make it into heaven. You with me? There isn't, well, you had to have 20 stars when you, a year when you were a kid in Sunday school in order to get into heaven. And there is no, none of this bargaining of, why, well, God, I know I messed up that time, but if I do this right, and if I start doing this right, will you make sure that I'm saved? That's not how it works. We're not bartering with God. We can't buy what we can't buy. You with me? Jesus has already bought it. He's already paid for it. If you're trying to buy what he's already paid, you're cheapening grace. You're cheapening grace. And, and what Jesus wants is a relationship with you, and he wants you to accept him as your Savior and Lord and not try to earn it because you can't. How many of you say, I can't earn my salvation? I would say, I can't earn my salvation. There's nothing I can do to earn it because Jesus has already paid for it. And if I come to, to, to God and say, look, I, I memorized two, two chapters in the Bible, and, and now I've earned my salvation. I'm kind of spitting upon the sacrifice of Christ because Jesus already paid for it and gave it to me as a gift. Now imagine this. It was my, my 40th birthday, uh, and I need more prayer than ever now, all right? But my 40th birthday, and, and people gave me some pretty nice presents. And, and so like my mom got me a few t-shirts. What if I opened up my wallet after my mom gave me the t-shirts and said, hey, you know, what do these cost? Let me pay for them. That's kind of cringeworthy, isn't it? Why? Because it was a gift. Now, let's take this a little bit closer to what Jesus talks about when it comes to our faith, he calls the church, meaning everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ, he calls them the bride of Christ. What if we as a, the bride of Christ were opening up our wallets or we thought we could buy our way into heaven and we're already married to Jesus, you know? We're already married spiritually into this. We're already accepted into the kingdom, but instead we're like, man, I gotta do the right thing. I gotta do the right thing so I get in. It's already been done. You see what I'm saying? You're, you're, it's really a weird way to think of it, but you're, you're taking what God has given you and you're trashing the relationship by thinking it's all about money or it's all about uh, doing good works. And, and what you're doing is you're saying, you only love me. Like what if I thought the only reason my wife loved me was because I provided a house and food in the pantry? That would be a messed up relationship. You with me? I choose to love her and she chooses to love me and whatever comes between us, um, that's all good. It, it's, it's, not, it's not based upon finances. It's not based upon uh, what I can do or what she can do in the moment. That's just, you're, you're turning it into this business and that's not what Christianity is about. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what makes it so different from other uh, ideas and religions. So he writes chapter one really to address the situation. So let's see how much more time I have to talk about this. <laughs> now that we've done that preamble, you with me though? You see what's happening here? G, uh, Paul is, uh, is a seasoned veteran. He's out planting churches. He has a friend that he's ministered to, and, and we'll see his name here. If we open up to Colossians chapter 1, and this is page 987, if you're in the Burgundy Bible, it says this. This letter is from Paul. So he's saying, hey, this is who it is, right? Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So Timothy might be helping him write this. He's involved in it in some way. Maybe he's just writing down the words that Paul are saying, but he's there. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. We are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. 
May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. How many of you want that grace and peace? So imagine Paul is writing this to you. And I say, he, this is how he opens up his letters. He's always so good at opening and saying, I love you guys. I care for you. A lot of times he says, I pray for you often. And I want grace and peace. I want the shalom of God to be over you. He says this in verse 3, We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. That's good stuff, right? I've heard good things about you. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news. What is the good news? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. You've heard this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, and it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So this is what's happening in Paul's time. It goes from the, the apostles, and it just starts blowing up all across the world. All across the known world now, you have churches that are starting to grow and, and people that are coming into faith and hearing the good news. And they're like, yeah, okay, I understand this. And they're running, realize that some of these people that are hearing about the good news are hearing it from people who saw it happen. They saw Jesus after he had died. They saw him alive and they're bearing witness to this and they're preaching about it and they're sharing about it. And all of a sudden you have just these churches growing up everywhere. All of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. They're just starting up. You've learned about the good news from Epaphras. I can't say that. Wow. Let's try to say that together. Epaphras. Everyone say Epaphras. Okay, you're ready to preach now. <laughs> this is who he is. He's our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. I love that. Who gives, who gives love? Who gives us love so that we can give it to others? God. It's the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The Holy Spirit has given you. So this is what Paul says he has been doing. He's in prison. Remember, he's locked up, but here's what he's doing. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you would grow as you learn to know God better and better. When, when you look at this and you hear the words of Paul spoken, you realize that Paul is looking at this church as if it was his grandchild. Paul wants the very best for this church, doesn't he? He's heard good things about this church. He wants to encourage them. And he's saying, this is, is what you've done for others. Verse 11, we also pray that you will be strengthened and with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased, everyone say purchased, our freedom and forgave our sins. Remember what sins are? They're missing the mark. What sins did he forgive? All of them. All the ones you already did? Yeah. All the ones you're going to do? Yeah. <laughs> this is the great thing. It is, hey, we know 
that we're going to mess up. We know that we're going to fall short again, but God has purchased the freedom through Jesus Christ and forgave our sins. And then he goes into this poem, this song just comes out of him. It's amazing right here. And you find doctrine in this. And doctrine is, is explanation of who God is in relation to us. You find all of these answers we see in this. He purchased our freedom. This is what, this is what grace is. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. While we were yet sinners, he did this. While he still knew you were going to mess up. You see how you can't earn that? Do you see how you can't make that right? It's almost like if, if you're married, you understand this. It's like saying your vows. What if you had to say to your spouse, and I'll never mess up or say the wrong thing? It's a joke, right? I try to say the right thing, and it's the wrong thing. I'm trying my best, and I mess up. You know, with my earthly spouse, my wife, right? When I say something, sometimes I mean it in a good way, but it comes out in a bad way, or it's misunderstood. And I'm so happy that she doesn't just say, we're done, because you messed up once. You with me? And that's the same thing with God's grace, is he's saying, look, we're, we're, in this, we're in this together already, and just because you messed up, I'm not done with you yet. We're not done. And we're not going to, you know, even in heaven, we're going to be growing in wisdom and knowledge of God and who he is. In heaven, we won't mess up, but right here and right now, we can do pretty good messing up on our own. But this is what God has done for us. He forgave us our faults and our sins. And then... And then this is it. I want you to say Christ is supreme. And then this is the idea that really comes out of chapter one. If you want to know what chapter one in Colossians is all about, it's, it can be boiled down into this. Jesus over everything. Say it with me. Jesus over everything. Now here's Here's what you're doing. When you're making that commitment to Christ, when you're repenting and you're asking Jesus to take away that sin, what you're doing is you're placing him in authority over all of your life. Nothing comes in front of him. Nothing comes over him. So if you're single, you're going to be praying about who God wants you to marry. If you're looking for a job, you're going to be praying about what job God's going to bring you. If you're going to be making a decision, you're going to look in Scripture and see if it's a biblical decision. You know, when I'm talking about the spouse thing earlier, if you're looking at a husband, or even if you're looking at dating someone, you got to think about this, because the reason to date is eventually to get serious, right? You're going to be looking for what God says that you should be looking for. Somebody who's honorable, somebody that's following him, somebody who is trustworthy, somebody who isn't a liar, because it says in Scripture not to be unequally yoked, not to be messing around with somebody who isn't with God. That's what you're supposed to be. That's how you're supposed to be living. And, it, and you may say, that's not right. You know, well, it also says you're not supposed to have relations before you're married. That's not right. I don't want to live that way. That's fine. You don't have to follow Jesus. But if you're following Jesus, then you better really be following Jesus. You with me? Because if you say you're following Jesus, but you're making all your own decisions, you're missing the point that it's supposed to be Jesus over everything. That means every decision we make should come under the, the idea of who Christ is and what he wants us to do. This is why I have a real difficulty with people who say that I believe this politically, but I separate my religion from my politics. I'm like, you're not putting Jesus over that. You're putting politics over Jesus. You with me? I'm not telling you how to believe. I'm just telling you, you have to think about what Jesus teaches and everything has to conform into what he wants us to be because we're in this holy holy thing, a holy relationship, holy marriage with him. And we've made this decision to follow Jesus. And when we make that decision, it comes at a price because we're no longer of this world. We're now bought and purchased and we're part of the kingdom of heaven. And we better act like it. Otherwise, we're not really following the right Jesus. We're not living the way we're supposed to live. And this is some serious stuff. And, and here's what he's done for us. Christ is supreme. He's over everything. 
Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So you say, well, where in scripture does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Right here is one of them. In other places, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus himself says that. So it's not just disciples and apostles. Jesus claims to be God. He existed. This is what it says about Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He is already over all creation. Whether we acknowledge it or not, God is king over all, right? Jesus is Lord over all. He existed before anything was created and supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things through him. In the scripture, in the Genesis, you'll say the word was God and the word was with God. And then we see that in John uh, chapter one, that Jesus is the word. So the spoken word of God, it said he breathed life into us. He spoke things into existence. That's Jesus creation, right? He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. How many of you know there's things you can't see? We're discovering those things, you know, with tiny little microscopes and radio, all, all this other stuff, we can start to see some of these things. But he's also made things that we can't see in the spiritual realm, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for who? For him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Woo! You could take these paragraphs and get a pretty good idea of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, who you're serving. This is, this is what he's done. Verse 21 says this, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Now, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So we heard <laughs> in verse 21, we hear this bad news. That's the bad news. In order for the gospel to be good news, there has to be bad news first. The bad news is we're separated from God. We're enemies of him when we come in. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? What's the good news? Yet now... <laughs> he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Jesus paid it all. Amen? And, and so this is the good news. The good news is that he accepts us and we just walk into his presence and we receive that repentance. Verse 23 says this, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So we're supposed to stand firm in the truth, right? Here's, here's what the world says. Well, how can you be right and everyone else be wrong? Well, there has to be a right somewhere. You with me? There has to be truth out there somewhere. And some people say, well, there is no absolute truth, but those very same people will not jump off of a five-story building. Why? Because they believe that gravity is a rule that's going to happen to them. So they believe in some absolutes. They have to live with absolutes in their mind in order to just exist. Now, what we're saying is we see some of these absolutes in Scripture, and what we're seeing is an explanation for creation. Not only that, the verses we just read said there are things that are too small for us to see. You know, they didn't know that back then. How did they know that? Now we know it. There's things, there, there are, like, if you could see inside of a single cell in your body, you would see a universe almost working, a machine just plowing away and doing what it's called to do. Who created that? How did that randomly start? 
It's too intricate to happen on accident. It's too intricate to happen through random chance. It can't exist. And, and then in Scripture says we're, very, we're held together. Do you know that there are bonds? You know, it's almost in the shape of a cross that tie your DNA together, that hold everything together. There is a glue. And, and the closer and closer they get into looking at these cells and going closer and closer into the mitochondria and everything that's occurring, they don't understand how it's all rotating and moving and holding together. I do. Scripture tells me it's all held together by God himself, the creator. Because he wills it to do it, it does it. He's holding it together. He created it. So explanation, you know, some people think that science explains away this scripture, and it doesn't. It actually starts to explain this scripture when we look at it. So this is, this is what he's saying. I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming, by telling you his entire message. The message was kept a secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for you, you Gentiles too. We're Gentiles, okay? If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. It's for everyone, right? It's for Jewish and Gentile alike. It's for everyone in the world. And this is the secret. And you're like, oh man, there's some secrets in the Bible. There are. <laughs> this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Everyone point to yourself. Christ lives in me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's true. If you're following him, that's true, right? This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. You can have assurance of your faith. There are people that knock on my door every summer, and they're out knocking on my door because they want to make sure that they get into heaven. <laughs> it is a little bit confusing, right? And if I sit down, I've sat down with them before. I said, well, do you have any assurance of your faith? They're like, what's the assurance of your faith? Do you know that you're going to make it? Well, I don't think anyone can know. Well, you, yeah, that's what you think. <laughs> that's not what Scripture says. Paul says that you can have assurance of knowing who you are, that you're a child of God. Amen. We can have that hope that isn't just hope, it's actually spoken to us and say, this is, this is what we're actually doing. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret, that Christ lives in you, and this just gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. So we tell, this is what we do because of this, is Jesus is over everything, right? And how many of you are, are trying to do that? I'm not saying we're all there yet. How many of you are trying to put Jesus over everything in your life? Good, good. I want all of you to be there, right? I want all of us to eventually make the decision. And if you didn't raise your hand because you're not there yet, thank you for being honest. You've got to be honest because guess what? When we're honest with God, he knows. <laughs> when we're dishonest, he knows too, right? So here, here's the deal. If, if Christ is over us and over everything, then this is what we should be doing. If we put him in charge of everything and that's the path that we're on and we're trying to relinquish our control and our thoughts over to his will and his control, we tell others, verse 28, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. Some of you are like, well, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of wisdom. Or maybe you've been told that by your neighbor who's sitting next to you. <laughs> good news. You're not responsible for what you don't have. <laughs> You're supposed to use the wisdom that God has given you. Amen. How many of you say he's given you some wisdom? It all looks like you're properly clothed today. So we have that going for us. He's given you whatever wisdom he's given you, use what he's given you to tell others about Jesus. Use your life to tell others about Jesus warning them and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. Well, I just want to love them. Good, love them. But also, if they ask you, what do you believe? Or if they ask you, what does Jesus say about this? Be bold enough to say the truth, that Jesus doesn't agree with sinful lifestyles, that Jesus wants to live our lives this particular way, because that's the actual fact. And if you don't come out with that truth, then what you're doing is you're dishonoring what Christ has already done for us, because he paid to cover up that sin, not to just make it go away so it doesn't exist anymore, it still exists, but it only gets covered up, only gets washed away if we repent. So we have to share our faith with others and tell them the truth 
that we know, and now you guys all know at least this truth, right? So we're responsible for that truth. We want to present them. This is what we want to do with our friends, family, strangers, neighbors, coworkers. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why Paul says this. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within who? Me. He works within you as well. That's what God wants to do for you. That's the God that we serve. That's the Jesus that we serve. Jesus over everything. And that's hard, isn't it? How many of you met? You're still working on that. I'll turn around. I'll think, there are moments I'm like, man, I'm doing pretty good. And then the Holy Spirit's like, hey, Ben, you just messed up. Hey, Ben, this, I'm not Lord over this over here. You ask the Holy Spirit to come and talk to you about what you're not doing right. Get prepared for him to talk to you about what you're not doing right. As I'm telling you, none of us are perfect. Paul himself says and knows that he's not perfect. In fact, at one point he says, I'm the chief of sinners. But he says he works hard and struggles because he thinks that this is important. And it is important for you too. The souls of the people around you are important. And if you really believe this, then you're going to share what you believe to be true. There was an atheist that said, I really don't have respect for Christians who don't tell me the truth about what they think Jesus said. I don't agree with it, he said. I don't agree with it. But if they're not willing to come up and tell me that I'm headed down the wrong path towards hell, I don't, I don't respect them because they don't love me enough to tell me what they believe to be true. You with me? That's an atheist. Atheists saying that. If, it's so important that we know what we believe, and that's why we're going through this book in Colossians. That's why we're going through this letter. So important that we know that what we believe, because otherwise we, we don't see the importance of it. Otherwise we don't understand what's on the line. Otherwise we don't have the drive to do what God has called us to do. And he's called us to minister to others. Amen? So I, I'm going to share with you... Uh, a verse, and I think it's in my notes, so I'm going to try. First Peter two five, I believe it's First Peter two five. I had it on my phone here. It says, "You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." I had a conversation with somebody that I'm friends with. And, and he was wanting to do ministry. And, and he's, waiting. <laughs> he's waiting for somebody to tell him that he should. And I've told him he should, and other people have told him he should. But he's waiting for this like confirmation or ordination or getting the right degree because he feels like he's inadequate. He feels like he doesn't have enough wisdom. And, and I told him, I have, your orient, I have your ordination papers. I've already got them. That's what I told them. I said, your ordination papers are in 1 Peter 2, 5. You're a priest. Turn to your neighbor and say, hi, pastor. Didn't that feel weird? Some of you are like, I'm not doing it. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. Now, we have different, different platforms. We have different places we do that. Some of you do it at work. Some of you do it at home with your family. Some of you are doing it wherever you can. But the truth is, you're all called to that. No one's any more special than you are. You're called to be a priest. You're called to be a child of God. You're called to inherit the kingdom. And if you're called to that, you better start walking in it right now, right? How many of you have gone into a situation because you felt confident? You go in with your head hell high. Like, I know what I'm doing and it's going to happen. By God's grace, I think we bought a van this week. We're waiting for it to be delivered from Philly. But I knew I would get approval for the van when I walked in. So I felt better. <laughs> right? I knew I'm going to qualify for this and I'm going to be fine. You guys, 
That, that is so insignificant compared to your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, because not only are you citizens, you can say, and my last name is Almighty. <laughs> you with me? So it's not like Bruce Almighty, kind of, I guess. But here's one. Uh, ben Almighty. Like, what are you talking about? No, I, I'm Ben but I've been adopted into the family of God, and God has placed his last name in my life. I'm not just Ben Poole. I'm like Ben Poole, son of God. Think about that. Like you're, you're, you're whatever your name is, daughter of God. You're whatever your name is, son of God. Realize that God has adopted you into this. Walk around with some confidence because he created the universe, okay? Amen? Like, why, why are we, and I, I'm preaching to myself right now, why are we terrified of talking to strangers if God created them? God made them. He's asking us to do something. He probably knows what he's doing, right? I want you to say, God made me. God saved me. I am a child of God. You can be walking around and the devil say something to you and you'll be like, do you know who my daddy is? Do you know, you know the devil will be like, you're a loser, you can't do this, you're not qualified, you, man, you, man. you have that voice in your head sometimes, you're going to fail this test even though you studied all night, you're going to you're just a, you're not going to accomplish anything in your life. Do you know who my daddy is? You can say that. It's God. He wins. He's already won. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being our dad, for being our Abba Father. I thank you that you are God Almighty, that you created the heavens and the earth, you created us, and then you said, we're worth we're worth purchasing back. We're, we're worth the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that all we have to do is confess that we need you. So right now, Lord, I say, God, I am a messed up person. I have sinned. I have sinned. I've fallen short, and I need your forgiveness. I need repentance. I need to switch paths and go the direction that you want me to go. And Lord, I mess up almost every day, Lord. Correct me. Fix me. Heal me. Bring me in line with your word. Help me to follow you the way you want me to follow you. Help me to live the way you want me to live. And I pray that over everyone in here right now, that they would be praying that prayer themselves, maybe for the first time. God, I want you to be over everything in my life. Jesus, over everything in my heart. Jesus, over everything. Every decision I make, guide me, direct me, and forgive me for the problems I've caused. Forgive me for the things I've done wrong. We thank you that your word brings life and hope, and we're asking for that right now. But we also want truth because the truth shows us the darkness for what it is and shows us what the light is. So we ask for that in Jesus' name right now. Help us to be bearers of your truth. Help us to be like Paul and to say, because of this, I tell people and warn them and I guide them and I try to present them to God Almighty as being worthy and holy because of the, what Jesus has done for me and what he's doing for others. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.